guys. Welcome to the James Gang Bible Study. Glad all of you are here, and those that are calling in will be calling in. We are in for a special treat tonight. Scott Stoddard has been a friend of mine since I met him in 1994 when he came to do some linoleum repair on our house. And a year or so later, he started coming to our church, and we've been friends since, close friends since 95, probably. And so for 18 years, been a good friendship. Scott is a father of two beautiful daughters and several great children who happen to be his grandchildren. He's not old enough to have great-grandchildren, but anyway. And uh, he's still a newlywed to his lovely wife, Tracy, now Tracy Stoddard. Scott works here in the church as a volunteer in the area of media, from videos to sound, and serves in the youth ministry and the ministry of helps and helps people behind the scenes. He's in the roofing business and has been known to help people who are struggling to get their houses livable. And so without any further ado, we'll pray an opening prayer and turn it to Scott. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to learn from your word. We pray, Lord, that you use Scott mightily to instruct us and equip us for life according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Scott Stoddard. Uh, counted a privilege and an honor to be standing up here teaching you all. As you can probably understand from something I said a few minutes ago, I haven't always lived the best Christian life. I was saved when I was 12, and uh, I kind of went round and round, you know, in hot and cold and hot and cold for a long time and got into things that I shouldn't have been into, but the grace of God spared my life through many idiotic things that I did, you know, and so... To whom much is given, much is required. And the way I look at that scripture is, to whom much is forgiven, much is required. <laughs> so uh, forgiveness is a gift. And so we freely receive it, and so we freely give it back. You know, And that's, that makes it easier for me when I'm offended by people to just let it go. You know, Because I see all the things I did that offended God. I, was gonna, I had in my mind over the last few weeks to go a certain direction with this, and uh Holy Spirit had other things in mind, I believe, and uh, I had put together a conglomeration of points and things to go one direction, and then I was reading my devotional this morning, and it kind of changed the direction of where we wanted to go with that, so where Holy Spirit wanted to go. How many of you would like to have more of God's grace given to you? I know I would. Yeah. You know, we all get grace. We're saved by grace through faith. And that not of ourselves. It's a gift that God gives to us. But there are things that you can work on in your life, uh, according to the scriptures that we're going to read, that God can minister more grace to you. And that's one of the things... It was really strange when I got up and read this this morning. The Holy Spirit was like, this is the route I want you to take on this. And so uh, I'd like to say a short prayer, and then we're going to get right into it. And I'm going to read this uh, this uh, devotional that I read this morning and kind of give you an idea where I got the impetus to go in the direction that we're going to take this. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, Lord. We we thank you for uh, unconditional and conditional promises in your word, Lord. Uh, we thank you that that when you're honest and true to your word, and that when you say, if you'll do this, then I will do this, we know that if we do our part, you'll come through mightily and strong in our lives and in our witness for you. Lord, I thank you for the word of God, for the spirit of God. And anything that I have planned or premeditated, uh, Holy Spirit, I give you authority to change it, Lord. Let my words be few and the Holy Spirit's words be what is taken in. Prepare the hearts here to receive the teaching from a humble servant. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Uh, how many of you believe you're called to ministry here? Everybody, whether you believe it or not, is called to minister. Uh, ministry is simply a term that means to serve others. 
And how we demonstrate God's love toward other people is through service. So we're all ministers. We're all called to minister. And God, we've got this great commission thing kind of backwards, I think, because God didn't say go into the world and get people saved. He said go into the world and make disciples. And so we get them saved, and then sometimes we kind of fall short of getting making disciples because we are not given the grace that we need and the forgiveness that we need and the acceptance we need from brothers in Christ around us. We need more mentors in our church and in the body of Christ. Everybody should have someone who's got any kind of degree of, of spiritual maturity that they're mentoring. And I encourage you, I want you to pray about that, that God would place someone in your path or put someone on your heart that you can mentor in spiritual things. It's huge. Because the next generation that's taken over this church, if we don't train them, who knows where it's going to go. Uh, this morning, I'm just going to read uh, some excerpts from my devotional this morning. It's December 11th. Given ministry by the grace of God. And this is Ephesians 3, 7, and 8, of which I became a minister according to the gift of grace of God given to me by the effecting work, effective working of his power to me who am less than the least of all the saints. This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So Paul looked at it as his ability to minister to other people was given to him. It was a gift given to him through the grace of God. So he had a more abundant grace on his life. It says we're all, I'm skipping a big portion, but it says we're all called to serve our master. In our hearts there is a desire to be used of our king. How many of you desire to be used by God? If you really love God and you're really into growing spiritually, then that's going to be a desire that he places in you. How comforting to know that our ministry will develop by God's grace that's given to us. Again, humble dependence is the path to such grace for ministry. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given, is what Paul said in that, in that verse that we read. And so that's where how I got, it kind of shifted the way I wanted to take this verse. And I'm going to go over to James now and read our foundation text. And maybe I can connect the dots as we go. <laughs> That's what I'm going to try to do anyway. Uh, I, I'd like to thank uh, Harvey last week. He set a really good foundation for this teaching because when you're caught up in the lusts of your flesh, you know, wanting to be noticed or lustful, lusting for things or lusting after women, then you're not going to be able to get to the point where you can even approach humility because you're caught up so much in yourself. And humility, let's just read the scriptures here. Uh, I believe it's 6 through 10 is, I believe that was what the assignment was. So let's read that. It says, But he has given more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And so we see that the prerequisite for uh, receiving this uh, portion of grace that allows us to minister to others comes from submitting ourselves to God. And also, uh, in submitting ourselves, we, uh, when we submit ourselves to God, the devil, we can resist the devil and he'll free, flee from us. So how many of you ever, have ever resisted the devil and he didn't flee? <laughs> I know I have. I mean, uh, this is an interactive thing. We've all done it, you know. And so one of the reasons that he didn't flee is because we're not really submitted to God. We think we are. You know, we think we're submitted to God because we get up and go to church on Sunday. You know, but that's just not the case. Submission to God requires an intimate relationship with him. Uh, and before you can be submitted to God, 
we have to work on humility. And that's where the word humble comes in. It says, uh, verse 6, He gives more grace, wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so what we're going to do is we're going to teach about humility. Because before you can submit yourself to someone, you have to have humility. How many of you ever worked for a female boss? <laughs> Was that a comfortable thing for you? I know it wasn't for me, but when I surrendered and did what God told me to do in 2009 after two years of being rebellious, I packed up all my things and went to Branson, Missouri and became a part of Faith Life Church in Missouri. God gave me a job where I had to submit to this evil, scheming woman, okay? And I told her when she hired me, she she had schemes and plans, and, and she was trying to get the guy fired, and I said, I'll help you as much as I can, but I will not lie, and I will not take part in anything that's a lie. And so, long story short, it came down to it where I had to back her up with a lie. And I told you, I told you when I hired that I wouldn't do this. And so it ended up, she let me go. I called the owner of the, I was working as a maintenance guy in a townhome situation. And I told him, she wanted to kick me out right then. I called the owner and I said, if you could just give me a month, I'll get, I'll get find another job and I'll move out. But God gave me grace because I was submitted and, uh, and I was humble enough to know that God would support me if I made a stand. You know, my relationship with God and not lying was more important to me than having a job. And so that was one example of humility. Uh, let's talk about what is humility. Uh, humility, it says in the dictionary, quality or, or condition, condition of being humble glasses, modest opinion or estimate of one's own importance or rank. Uh, synonyms to humility are lowliness, lowliness, meekness, and submissiveness. And so we see one of the synonyms of it is the very thing that God says to do in the next verse is submit yourself. But you won't get to submission until you learn humility. Okay, and an antonym for uh, for humility is pride. And so if I want to get into this city where the treasure is, and the treasure happens to be humility, this city's got a high wall built around it, and that wall is pride. So we have to we have to learn how to overcome the obstacle to get where the treasure of humility is. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at, at pride because pride is something that we all deal with. No matter what level of spirituality we're on, we live in physical bodies. Our minds are not completely renewed, and they won't be until we're walking with Jesus. And I believe even then it will be a process of our mind being renewed. So what I want to look at is pride and how is it that pride manifests itself in our lives. And so we want to ask ourselves this, do we have pride? Is anybody here prideful about anything? We all deal with pride. It's a mutual thing. And I thought it was really good of God to lead me in this direction because he led me in a direction to where I wasn't just having to share the stuff I'm struggling with, but everybody struggles with this issue. So pride is the barrier that we have to get beyond in order to learn humility. Uh, some of the signs of pride, and these are just a few. I'm going to list a few, and we're going to talk about them together. Uh, I need feedback because if I'm the only one talking, I get a little, a little antsy. I'm used to teaching to the kids, and they don't have any problem giving me feedback, so... If you if you have something you want to say, just speak up. Uh, one of the symptoms, or let's see, some of the signs that you're dealing with pride uh, are pride speaks of itself. How many times do you get 
a new car or or you uh, made this accomplishment and you go tell everybody, you know, I I did this. I, you know, I, I I got a new motorcycle. I got a raise at my job. What's your motivation for telling other people that kind of stuff? Pride wants to impress others. So it always speaks about itself. And so uh, one of the things, I have a close friend of mine, every time he would get something new, he he, he bought him a house, he called on the phone, oh, I got me this new house, you got to come see it. Every time he'd get a new car, he'd buy a brand new car, he'd call me up on the phone. And he, oh, you got to come see my new car. I said, well, bring it over. I mean, you got the car. Come on, <laughs> come on over and let's see what it looks like. You know, but I could see through many, many times. This went on for years. You know, every time he got something new, a new guitar or a bass, he would call me on the phone, and all he could talk about was his stuff. So pride speaks of itself. And pride is a bragger. Pride likes to brag about what I did, what I've got, who I'm married to. You know, I got this great job. I got a lot of money in the bank. You know, and we all struggle with doing that. Pride wants to impress others. That's its goal. I mean, look at your motivation for speaking about things that you have or things you've done to others. Why are you doing that? More times than not, you want them to be impressed with you. Am I right? I mean, I want people to be impressed with me. Everybody does. It's a natural thing. You know, you want people to like you, and so we go out and, and we say things. So what we need to do is when we're talking with people, what's my motivation for them for telling them this? Am I trying to impress people? That's not a good motivation. Uh, Keith Moore he had this saying, he says, never do or say anything to try to impress others. Just be impressive. It's one thing to be impressive. It's a whole other thing to have the motivation of trying to to impress other people. Okay, so if you go at things with a spirit of excellence, people are going to notice that you that you are good at what you do, you're going to get attention without having to bring attention to yourself. Uh, pride is a name dropper. You know, who, where I've been, you know, I've, I, I've been guilty of this myself. You know, I'm personal friends with the pastor up there at, at, Sh at Shady Grove Church, which it was for a long time. You know, and I've caught myself doing that. Wrong motivation. I want people to be impressed that my friend is the pastor and my pastor is my friend. You know, uh, let's see. Pride interrupts. Pride interrupts. Have you ever been had a conversation with somebody and you're trying to make a point and they interrupt you? Or you maybe the issue's on the other foot and you're the one that's interrupting them. Pride thinks that it's more, what I have to say is more important than what you're saying. So what it does is it interrupts that person. You stop them and and you think what you have to say is more important. So the result of that is that we don't learn to listen to people because we're prideful and we want to get our points in. And a lot of times you're talking with somebody on the same level, you know, and you're you're not really listening to what they say. You got your guns behind your back, and you're loading them up and getting ready for what you want to say because that's the most important thing, right, in your mind. Yeah, waiting for your turn to talk. Right, waiting for your turn to talk, which is a good thing, but while you're doing that, you're not really listening to what they're saying. You're preparing what you have to say because, again, it's way more important than what they're saying. So that's another sign of pride. Humility determines the limits of your usefulness to God. Humility determines the limits of your usefulness to God. We're going to look at that. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. 
You know, one of the things that I miss about my old Baptist church was in the technological age that we live in is there was a holy sound that you don't hear in church as much anymore. And that's when the preacher would would give a scripture and you'd hear all the people that brought their Bibles in the pages turn. I believe that's a heavenly sound, you know, and I miss that. So a lot of times when I'm praying, reading my Bible, I'll look at a lot of scriptures just to hear that sound. <laughs> because it's holy. There's something holy about people searching the scriptures and the sounds and the things, the byproducts that come with it. And so how many would agree that Moses did great endeavors for God and he had a lot of favor with God? You talk about grace. In the time of Moses, God didn't really speak face-to-face to people. He spoke to prophets and dreams and visions, and then they went and told the people. He didn't speak to a lot of people. But most of the time, he spoke through prophets and dreams and visions. But Moses had so much favor with God that God spoke to him face-to-face, directly. As, we're, as I'm talking to you, that's how God spoke to Moses. And so how would you like, of course, we live in the New Testament. It's a whole different era where God speaks directly to us because the veil's been torn away. The partition, the requirements of speaking directly with God have been removed. And we ought to have a more intimate and personal relationship with God because of that, because we live under the New Covenant. Um, So let's look at why it was that Moses had this favor on his life. In Numbers 12, verse 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. He had that distinction of being meek. And if you'll look up the definition, which I did not do, I did not put it in my notes, I did look, but they're almost the same. Meekness, they're very, very similar. In fact, I would even go so far as to say that Meekness is a byproduct of humility. Okay? And so Moses was a very used man of God in the Old Testament. And the reason was because he was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. So meekness is important to God. Humility is important to God. And... uh It is what gives us uh, the extra grace that we're looking for to be able to minister to other people. And a lot of times, you know, we want to, we say we're submitted to God, but we don't have the humility. And so really, without true humility, it's almost impossible to be really submitted to God because God resists the proud. And that term resist in there, it kind of means like this. Have you ever seen the the cowboys running back when he guys kind of get him, he sticks his hand in his face? He's resisting that guy. And that's kind of what God does to us when we're proud. When we manifest these signs of pride in our lives, he keeps us away. Okay? He shuts us out. Whereas humility, he holds you in your hand. When you have humility... He'll hold you in his hand, and he will lift you up. The scriptures even say he will lift you up. And so which would you rather have? Would you rather have God, like, talk to the hand, or do you want God to be holding you in his hand? So that's where we all want to get to. We're going to continue with some more pride uh, issues. Pride presumes others want to hear what you have to say. You ever been in a room where, five or six people, and one person is dominating the whole evening, the whole conversation. And it's like, man, you're like, I just wish he'd shut up. You know, nobody really cares what he's talking about. He's not making any sense. You know, and he just talks and talks and talks. A lot of times, uh, you can locate people spiritually by how much they jabber. You know, they think that what they have to say is more important than what anybody else has to say, and they just talk and talk and talk and talk. Those are immature Christians. Uh, pride requires attention from others. How many of you like it when you get ignored by somebody that you know? It's no good. It's no good. I've had people uh, 
that I would speak to in church and say hello. They would intentionally ignore me, turn their head, not look at me, and walk the other way. These are Christian people, by the way, intentionally. And then the next week, same thing again. And so I had to deal with that pride in me. You know, nobody likes to be ignored. You know, it kind of hurts you, especially when you thought it was somebody that was your friend, that a real friend would come to you if they had a problem with you and talk to you and tell you, hey, you did this that offended me. And I guarantee we'd amend the relationship because whatever I did, I'd apologize. It was my friend. You know, and I'd ask them to forgive me. But pride would go and talk behind their back to other people because it requires the attention of others. Being humble is just the opposite. Pride, and you know, a lot of, let me just say this too, on that same note, is pride will, will tell others, you know, I'm leaving this church because I have this gift of prophecy, or I'm an apostle, I'm a preacher, I'm a sent one of God. But there's appointed times and seasons for those things to come to pass in your life. And if you're an apostle, if you're a prophet, God will reveal your gift to people. You don't go telling people, you know, about how gifted you are and how anointed you are. God will make it plain to those in authority, and you will be promoted by your humility, not by your pride of saying, you know, I'm this or I'm that, you know, I'm a great speaker or whatever. God will promote you, not your own pride. Pride doesn't want to be taught or corrected. How many times have you heard a sermon on faith? How many think they know something about faith? I mean, I, I do. I've heard many, many sermons on faith from some of the best faith teachers in the world. So when somebody gets up in your church and teaches on faith, it's like, oh, man, I probably already know more about this than that guy does. I mean... How is it that he's going to teach me something on faith? You know, have anybody ever thought that but me? Maybe it's just, maybe I'm the only prideful one in here. <laughs> you know, no, are y'all no. looking at me like a cat looking at a new game here? Okay. I'm trying we're, to think how many times I have done that. We're, yeah. we're hiding our pride by not interrupting you. Okay. <laughs> no, but I want you to interrupt me. I need, I need people to, to participate. Okay. I, I have a question. Okay. Simply because of the, the, could you just, is there a distinguishable difference between pride and ego? I would say probably not. They're both entwined. I mean, it's like saying if you've got a three-strand cord, you know, and two of them are pride and ego, how do you separate them? I mean, they're both the same thing, okay. pride and ego. And there's probably another one in there that y'all could throw in. But they're all wound up together. And I don't think you could separate pride from ego more than you could separate butter and flour from a baked cake. It's too late. Uh, it's getting really quiet, so I must be doing a good job. Yes, you are. You're ringing the dinner bell. Okay. Uh, and, and be aware, too, that I'm working on all these things in my life and have been for many years. And and it's a process. We all have to go through. But if you don't recognize it, then you don't deal with it. And I'm not bringing any of this stuff up to condemn anybody. That's not my job. If the Holy Spirit convicts you that you need to deal with it, then you need to deal with it. Because it convicted me while I was doing the message. No, you need to work on some of these things. And I don't think there was... I can't remember one of them that I didn't need to work on. So it's teaching just for me, as much for me as it is for anybody else. And believe me, my wife is a constant reminder of my pride. I never knew how wrong I was till I got married. And I am reminded constantly that I am prideful and I am wrong on a consistent, daily basis. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing because it motivates me to want to change. You know, I want to please my wife. When I when you love somebody, you want to please them. 
Okay, in the same way, if you love Jesus, you want to please him. You want to do what he asks you to do. It's really simple stuff. You know, God didn't make any of this spiritual stuff hard. We mess it up. It's easier said than done. It takes somebody with a degree and from the seminary to complicate it so much that you can't do it. Right. <laughs> okay? But it's simple. He knew we were simple-minded. He referred to us as sheep. Okay, does that give you a clue? <laughs> sheep ain't the brightest animals on the planet. So we're all working on it. We're all going to get it eventually. Uh, I said pride. Oh, okay. Pride promotes itself. We actually talked about that in the first couple. Pride does not show others when it's impressed. Ever been around somebody that, oh man, I just got this new boat and man, I just love it. It's got the twin outboard engines and this and that and the fish well. It's got three seats for the bass boat and fishing. And whoever the guy you're with, it always wants to overdo you. So always has a bigger and better story or equipment or experience. That's pride. But humility will be able to be glad for that person and celebrate with them. Not, not say, man, that ain't nothing. You got a bass tracker. I got so-and-so, you know. Yeah. That ain't nothing compared to my boat, you know. So pride does that, you know. A lot of these, ta- a lot of these things are bragging about things, which brings us back to last week, to the lust of things. We, we tend to put our affection on things instead of on Jesus. We all do it. True submission, okay, we're moving on past the the alley part that really gets us and that, that hurts us a little and makes us go, ooh. Um, true submission, and that's what he talks about in, uh, let's just go back to the scripture here in James. Okay, after he says God gives Grace resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. There's a reason that there's humility and then submission. And because true submission is established by humility. I mean, if you're working for a woman, if if you're not if you're not submitted to her authority, I'm sorry, if you're not in humility it's going to be almost impossible for you to be submitted to that authority. Or that could another situation would be where I'm 51 years old. You know, God may put me in a job where there's a 25-year-old kid that's my boss. Okay? Could I really submit to them and honor them without humility? Wow. No. No. You couldn't do it. This kid don't know nothing. He's a little jerk. He's mean. You know? My pride would kick in and would keep me from actually submitting <laughs> to the authority that God had placed in my life, you know, in my job or in my church or wherever that might be. So we see that true submission is established by humility. Humility determines the limits of your usefulness to God. Another thing about humility uh, I don't have a scripture for this, but I believe it's true, and you're welcome to take it or leave it. There's no charge for this part. Uh, a, a brother that I respect in the Lord told me that the Lord told him one time that your your humility is your protection from deception, from being deceived by false teaching. Your humility is your protection from deception. So I'm just going to let that cook for a while. You know, take think about that, maybe write it down. Um, when this is over, if anyone would like to see my notes and and go into this a little further, and then I'd be happy to make copies of the notes for you. Um, you know, I was going to tell a joke before I started, and I totally forgot. I think it's getting pretty heavy in here, so <laughs> i tell you what, let's go ahead with the joke. Um, I had this dream 
hypothetical dream that I have to have for, to be able to tell this joke. Okay, so I have this dream, and uh, I'm in heaven with a couple of old buddies of mine from the Baptist church, and I'm standing at the pearly gates, and St. Peter says, well, it's kind of overcrowded right now. We're going to have to let you all wander around in paradise for a while before we can let you in the city. Man, what a bummer. And then I start looking around paradise, and I'm like, wow, this is awesome. And, and St. Peter says, well, the only problem with paradise is you got you get to looking and catching things, but there's so many ducks, you cannot step on a duck, because there will be repercussions if you step on a duck. And so we're all, I'm running around and walking around with my buddies, and a lot of time goes by, and we're checking things out and looking down and checking things out. There's ducks everywhere. I mean, there's water, there's lakes, there's rivers and streams and ducks all in between. And so we're catching all the sights. And so sure enough, one of my buddies, John, he steps on a duck. And so instantly, St. Peter's right there. And he says, he brought this real homely-looking girl with a really bad attitude with him. With her, and he goes, okay. Well, your punishment is you got to rest, spend the rest of the time you're here in paradise with this ugly woman. That's your punishment. So he has to go to another part of paradise and go spend it with that ugly woman. And so we made it. A little bit more time goes by, and we're taking in all the sights in paradise. I mean, there's a the river of life and the trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and all the trees going up and down the river of life. We're taking it all in. Sure enough, my other buddy. He steps on a duck. Instantly, St. Peter shows up, even more despicable, hideous-looking woman with a bad attitude and a big mouth. And she is already cutting this guy down. Okay? I mean, it, she's just terrible. Okay? And so he goes, I'm sorry, but you're going to have to go over this part of paradise. And so long period of time goes by, and I can't even take in any paradise. I'm walking around like this. You know, I already did my time with ugly women. You know, I don't want to do this with them. So I don't want to spend the rest of my life oh, man. in paradise wandering around with an ugly woman, you know, with a bad attitude, hateful and mean and nasty. And so, sure enough, I'm strolling along the path one day. I'm looking at the mountains, the snow on the mountains, and you can see the light from the throne of God. And I'm just kind of staring at it, strolling along. And <laughs> I step on on a duck? No, not really. I went. I went a long time, and and suddenly uh, Peter showed up to me. He goes, "Well, you went a long time. You hadn't stepped on a duck." I said, "Well, yeah. What do I get?" He goes, "Well, it's not time for you to go to the city yet, but I do have something for you." He brought you to this beautiful woman. I mean, she's gorgeous, and she's just got the spirit of God emanating from her, and she's easy to look at with the eyes and she's got this pleasantness about her and she's encouraging and uplifting and I said I, I looked at her and I said what's your name she goes my name's Glory I said wow you're awesome I said what did I do to deserve this and she goes I don't know what you did but I stepped on a duck <laughs> <laughs> There we go. I about messed it up too, but that's okay. All right, we're going to move on. Pride will bring you low. Uh, in the contemporary English version of Deuteronomy 5:20, it says, "But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit blesses." When his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. Uh, he was driven from among the children of mankind and his mind was made like that of a beast. So what I wanted to get through these scriptures is pride will bring you low. And it also, it, it darkens your understanding and your mind is darkened. This is where... Uh, was it Nebuchadnezzar? Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar. He was the one that turned into a beast, and he had like this, his skin was wet all the time. You ever feel how wet dog's nose? I can imagine, I'm imagining that that's what he was like all the time, you know. And God dealt with him because of his pride. 
And the reason he spent seven years crawling and eating grass like a beast. Thank God we're on the other side of that covenant. Okay, uh, one of the things that I always like to do when I teach is I want to talk about practical application. Okay, because if I read a book on how to build a treehouse, and I read that book several times, but I never build a treehouse, I don't know how to build a treehouse. I just read a book about it. So if you take the Word of God and you sit under teaching, no matter how good the teaching is, if you don't apply it to your life, then the Bible says you're deceiving yourself. I believe that's in James 2. I believe that's in James 2.21 or 1.21. Okay, 1.22. It says, But be ye doers of the Word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So you think, I mean, there's a lot of people that have a lot of Bible knowledge, but it's up here. There's no practical application. Practical application of the Word of God is what gets it in your heart, and it becomes a part of you. And then the Holy Spirit's able to recall it when you need it because you've had practical application of it. You're a doer of it, not just somebody that knows the facts. And I'm telling you, ask me how I know, because I've been there, done that. Uh, And so what we want to do is we want to challenge you to do something about what we talked about tonight. You know, examine yourselves. The Bible says that if we examine ourselves, if we judge ourselves, then we'll be judging no man instead of judging other people. And one of the ways that God helps us to judge ourselves is he'll show us weaknesses and faults in others that we can see instantly. And I've noticed, and I've prayed about it, and every time I see a weakness or a fault in someone else very quickly like that, it's something that God's trying to deal with me about. And if you'll examine your heart, you'll find that to be true. And we don't want to admit it sometimes. Because the first pride says, that's not me. I don't do that. But most of the time, when you get along with God, he'll show you that that's something that you need to work on. We see others, we see a reflection of ourselves in others. And there'll come a time when we see Jesus face to face and we'll be like him. And that's what we're looking for. That's the goal we're trying to get to. So practical application is a huge part of of Christian growth, of spiritual growth. And I really believe that we have to have practical application of what we've learned or we don't grow spiritually. We become dormant. I mean, a lot of people will go to church on Sunday and that's the only only time they eat all week, spiritual food. They don't read their Bible, they don't pray, they might do it once or think about it. And so we need practical application. And we're going to talk about some things that we can do uh, number one way that we can work on this pride deal is we need to meditate on how God feels about pride. He hates it. Uh, the first sinner, the first one, the devil himself, he was lifted up with pride and said, I'll exalt my throne above the heavens, above the throne of God, and thought he could be like God. That's what caused the third of the angels and the devil to come to get thrown down to earth and get kicked out of the kingdom of God. So God hates pride. So we need to meditate on how God hates pride. You need to look up scriptures on it, find examples of people who were prideful in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, and see how God dealt with them. It's not pretty. Practical application requires that you do some searching and study of your own. Okay, uh, here are a few scriptures, and I won't name them all. I did print out a couple of them. Uh, You can get a list if you want the notes. I'll give them to you. But a few to get us started is Proverbs 6, 16 through 17, Proverbs 8, 13, Proverbs 11, 2, Proverbs 15, 25, Proverbs 16, 5, and 16, 18. All those are Proverbs. And the two I wrote down... Proverbs 21.4 says, A high look and a proud heart and the plowing of the wicked is sin. Proverbs 29.23 states, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So God
God gives you honor for humility. Uh, number two thing is to feed on the Word daily. It's really important. When God sees you reading His Word, it pleases Him. Because to find out who God is, one of the ways God speaks to you is through His Word. If you want to know God's character, learn His Word. Read through it in a year. It's not that difficult. You can spend 30 minutes a day and be committed to it. You can read through the whole Bible in a year, maybe a little more, if you miss, because you're going to miss a few days because you're human beings, you know. But I would encourage everybody to read through. And while you're doing that, count on the Holy Spirit to teach you what it means, because most people, when they read the Bible, including myself for a long time, I don't understand it. I get bored because I don't understand it. Ask the Holy Spirit to teach you. He's your teacher. And you can learn many, many things from many, many different teachers if you count on the Holy Spirit to be your teacher and your guide. Because there's a lot of falsity out there. There's a lot of tricksters and people who are just downright making up truth to try to get your money on television. But I learned a long time ago that if if, if I'm counting on the Holy Spirit to teach me, when the minister says something that's not in line with the Word of God, he'll give me a check in my spirit, and I'll just let that roll off my back like water off a duck's back. But there'll always be good meat in there. Even the worst Bible teachers can give you good revelation, but you're counting on not that person to teach you, but for the Holy Spirit to be your guide and to be your teacher. That's what he's here for. So feed on the Word God, Word of God daily. It helps to keep you walking in truth. Uh, worship is a true exercise in humility. Worship is a true exercise in humility. And the reason that is because even once you learn about worship and you begin to sense God's presence and His that how much He's pleased with your worship, no matter how you feel that day, no matter what's going on at home, no matter who's sick or who's died, you can lay it all down in humility and get on your knees or on your face before God and worship the Creator who knows all things and has called you to be like Him and called you to walk in His Spirit and called you to minister to others and walk in love toward those around you. God is well pleased with you and He's well pleased with your worship. And worship is a form of submission also. Because what happened when, uh, was it Saul? They used to have David come and play the harp, and David would worship and sing uh, worship songs. And what happened to the, the evil spirits? They took off. They hate being in the presence of a true worshiper or true worship. They don't want to be around it. It makes them ill. So they run so, to review, uh, we look up scriptures about pride, we meditate on how God feels about it, uh, we look up scriptures, more scriptures about pride, we feed on the word daily, we pray daily, and then we worship on the daily. Uh, quickly, I'm going to run through these four things and I'm going to wrap it up, and then I'm going to give you a challenge. Say these things... Uh, there are four truths, I'm sorry, there are four truths from the Word that when meditated on and practiced will help us to quench the pride in our lives and in our minds, in our souls, and walk in humility and submission to God. And these are not four truths that I made up, these all come from scriptures. And I'm going to give you the scripture, and I want you to tell me what it is that it's saying. Okay, Galatians 6, 3 says, For if a man think himself to be something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So say this out loud with me. Without God, Without God I, am nothing. I am nothing. It's a good thing to remember when you're dealing with pride. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 2, it says, If any man thinks that he knows anything... He knows nothing yet as he ought to know. So say this aloud with me. Without God, Without God I, know I know nothing. 
in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7, it says, Who do you think you are? This is the uh, English Revised Version, I believe. Who do you think you are? Everything you have was given to you. So if everything you have was given to you, why do you act as if you got it all by your own power? So without God, without God, I have nothing. I have nothing. Okay. Uh, the English Standard Version in John 5:15. These are the words of the Master. He said, "I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing." So one more time, without God, without God, I can do nothing. I can do nothing. I guarantee if you'll do these things and meditate on these scriptures that you're nothing without God, pride will begin to fade away. You'll never attain full uh, full release from it because you're living in a body. But you can get better. You can work on it. And what you'll notice that is if you start to work on these things, God's going to be smiling. And he's going to show you favor. Okay? God doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to work on it. He gave you all the tools. I believe it's uh, 1 Peter that says, let's just turn over there and try here. I'm sorry. Take a second, Peter. And what we started talking about was grace being increased in our lives. And we determined that humility would be the vehicle for that grace coming into our lives. And that God promised us more grace through humility in that scripture. Let me find the scripture here, First Peter. It says, God, uh, it's first, Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. It says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him, Jesus that is, that he called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given to us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So God's given us every all the tools we need to become more like him and to, and to begin to operate in divine nature. He said that we'd heal the sick, we'd cast out demons, we'd speak with tongues, all those things that Jesus did. As that divine nature begins to become part of us, we can do the works that Jesus did. But it takes effort on your part. God said he'd do part, you do your part. God always comes through on his part. 